Welcome to the third episode of Capture Q. Today's guest is Paul Peltier, a lawyer, author, and expert on workplace harassment. This conversation was recorded before COVID-19 led to the current shutdown, so the issues discussed have taken on new life forms, although I believe his expertise and advice are not only still relevant, but tremendously useful in this time of such uncertainty. Welcome to the show, Paul. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here, Tracy. I appreciate it. Of course, yeah. So um, you started as a lawyer, um, mm-hmm. and then you launched with, you had a book, and you've done a lot of public speaking. So if you want to kind of give everybody a background on uh, Sure. Okay. On Paul. So, boy. Um, yes, I'm I'm a corporate lawyer by trade. Um, don't like to acknowledge that too much, but absolutely that is what I am by profession. And um, I as a result of a very bad experience working in a legal organization, actually a corporation, but in the legal department, I ended up writing two books on workplace bullying. And you probably can figure out very quickly how you I became this poster person for workplace bullying. It's not something you want to be, but no. sometimes it's it just happens. And as a result of the books, um, they kind of led to articles, which led to things like today, podcasts and so on, which led to interviews, which led to requests to speak, which led to this whole new world of speaking very publicly and quite uh, quite diversely on workplace respect issues, workplace bullying, harassment, intimidation, um, mobbing, all of the terrible behaviors that we unfortunately encounter at work far too often. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I guess interesting in, in that you, you've done some speaking as well, kind of before that, was that on, was this all in relation to bullying? Cause you mainly, so yeah, it began generally speaking. Um, I think people assume that lawyers are all, all natural born speakers. It's the opposite. I think most of us are like any other profession, we tend to not want to be in the public domain as, as much. Yeah. But um, I'm not a natural speaker. Uh, it wasn't so, It wasn't something I felt was a calling, but I ended up feeling the need to try to improve awareness and try to give people tools and strategies and support for anyone who's encountering bad behavior at work. Um, and that just sort of snowballed. It, it I still don't understand how it all happened, but here I am, and I've become a fairly well-known player in the the world of workplace respect, and I get the incredible privilege of speaking all over the place to try and enhance people's awareness. Wonderful. And I did just kind of want to talk about something you just mentioned. Um it's it's not something you want to do, you know, when you're when you're a victim and and how it it does become about bravery in knowing that, hey, I'm going to be criticized here, probably by some people, but I'm going to help a lot of other people. You you nailed it. Um, yes, you, well, for me, I think that the, again, I didn't intend to write books. I didn't intend to be the this, this sort of poster person, but life happens. And mm-hmm. sometimes things happen that you didn't want to happen. And yet here you are. For me, I had to heal somehow. And I had to heal by writing. And the writing just snowballed. I, I, I couldn't, I still don't understand how it, it's where it is, it is, but I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. And it is really important for me to I'll give people a chance to have things that I didn't have in their toolkit. 
mm-hmm. and to be able to take what I there's sort of four four words: small, low risk, impactful, and um, planned actions to deal with bad behavior at work, whatever it may be. Because mm-hmm. I didn't have any of those, and I did all the wrong things, and I reacted in every bad way possible. In, from self-sabotage to making uh, the person who was behaving badly more angry than he had been previously and just doing silly things that I didn't understand. Yeah. And now I do. And so I wrote a book basically called The Workplace Bullying Handbook, and that's what it's for. It's to give anyone, regardless of where what role they're in and how they're impacted by bad behavior, to give anyone tools and and strategies for how they can help support or actually take action themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess in in doing things that are wrong, um, often we're seeing with all of these cases, we've got, you know, everything from Harvey Weinstein to Giangomeshi. And, you know, in a court of law, it is kind of seen as almost, it, it goes against that person's credibility when they do something nice to their abuser. They, you know, they write an email that tries to diffuse the situation. And um, in, in so I, you know, for everyone, I, I learned about you from the Sam Sullivan's Public Salon, and that was a very impactful speech that you gave. Um, but in that speech, you mentioned how you would go to this bully and, and try to appease the situation. Always. And that's, yeah. this is a very common and probably really misunderstood reality when you are being victimized or you're being badly treated. You try every every tactic imaginable to try and appease or um, turn their turn their head around because you're a good person, you're a hard worker. You try mm-hmm. and prove yourself. You you I mean the story that I tell frequently is my my boss gave us uh, his support or his staff a minion in a Christmas stocking, a minion, little stuffed minion doll. From, and, from the Despicable Me, Me the and followers. That's yeah, right. And yeah. you, everyone starts to think, well, what's a minion? It's nothing wrong with that. Well, actually, a minion is a, is a nameless, faceless servant that derives its importance from being ordered around. Wow. So it was a really not-so-subtle message from my boss that we were his minions, and he was making that abundantly clear. And I'd love to tell you that I had the courage to run into his office and say, this is totally not okay, and you've crossed a line, and I'm really upset. But I'm more embarrassed to tell you that I thanked him. Yep. And I tried to avoid him that day, but I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And here I was thanking him for giving me kind of like a slave doll as a Christmas present. And that is incredibly common behavior. Because we don't know what to do, and we're trying to sort of manage a hurricane and prevent it from getting worse. And so we do anything we can think of. And often, like you said, it does almost look like we're, we're supporting them or we're, um, we don't see it's a problem. Yeah. And it's the opposite. We're trying desperately to stop the problem, and we usually don't know how. Mm-hmm. And I made that mistake countless times. Yeah. And that's part of my message is don't do the things that I did because it wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah, and often it can yeah make the situation worse for yourself if you it don't escalated. know. Many people don't know. I've talked to many, you know, a lot of people who have been bullied, and and when they describe it, they say, "Well, they hold power over me. If I if I stand up and I fight, they Absolutely. can you know 
change my role. They can take tasks away. They can take titles away. They can do so much that they they don't want to stand up and you know defend themselves. They want to appease and and you know kind of make it go away. And, Absolutely, and yeah. that's normal. And so we're trying to survive mm-hmm. in a really harsh work environment. And I, the best way I can describe it, and this is not my line, it was someone who talked to me. She she said, my work felt like a war zone. And all I was doing was dodging bullets and bombs and landmines every day. And it wasn't just her. And I think that's the point that we sometimes forget is that we're just doing anything possible to get through a day. And you're right. When someone holds authority and statistically bullies are about 77% of the time someone above you in terms of rank or authority, it's pretty hard to to take action when you're terrified that you could have a repercussion and a retaliation that could really hurt you. Mm-hmm. So fear is, is, a, is a paralysis that we all experience in these environments. And so I think, again, what's important, I believe, is to encourage people to understand they're not alone, they're not powerless, they may be vulnerable, they are going to be afraid, um, and that's okay, it's normal. But mm-hmm. in, in even in those environments, you can take steps and actions as simple as documenting bad behavior over time and having emails to support it, if there are any, doing a really good job of detailing the, and documenting, that's no risk. Mm-hmm. And and but that documentation could be golden if ultimately you do decide to report the problem or there's others who are also documenting with you because that's consistent corroborated evidence that sounds very legal but yeah. that is exactly what it is and it's powerful mm-hmm. so fear is is reality but courage is contagious. Mm-hmm. And that's my message. And I want to talk too about what you were just saying with others documenting. So often what we see when there is somebody who's who's harassing um, is kind of the the support that you do find in your your colleagues or, you know, other victims that have come together and and said, you know, how you, you said this isn't you're not abnormal. This isn't this isn't a problem with you. And they often come together. Um, did you experience ever kind of, you know, the support of colleagues in, in knowing that? Um, well, I, I have to say in my circumstance, no. Mm-hmm. But I have to also, I have to own that because in some respects, I was not helping the situation. So how do, what do I mean by that? Well, it doesn't help when you gossip. No. Nope about the person, or when you try and sabotage them, or when you try and turn others against them, all of which I did. It, it's much more helpful if you form a kind of a support group, and you honestly agree that this is not okay. This is a problem that we, not me, we need to try to do something about. Mm-hmm. And small steps make big moves eventually. And even just supporting each other, even the act of supporting each other makes you go from feeling very vulnerable and alone to part of a support group. Yeah. And that support is powerful and it can change your your feeling about courage, your feeling about willingness to do something. Because if it's one person 
versus three or five or eight, the dynamic shifts profoundly. And I can also tell you that if you ultimately decide to do something as a group, one or three or five makes a giant difference to people like HR. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for HR to have a he said, she said, or he he said, he said situation when it's they said, yep. she said. Yep. Very different. And if that evidence is is corroborated, if it's well-documented, if it's consistent, boy, HR has a real challenge on their hands because they don't have the luxury of saying, well, we believe the antagonist more because mm-hmm. often HR is under their thumb too and under their manipulation. And bullies are incredibly adept at being sycophantic and and having people above them have this sense that they're completely indispensable and that mm-hmm. they are so important that they they could never be in the wrong. So it are it's a hard it's a hard um task to shift that thinking. But it's absolutely doable. We just have to be, I I call it a plan. You have to have an action plan and you have to be methodical and patient and deliberate. Mm -hmm. And and in some respects, cunning. You have to want the bully to misbehave so that you have yet another example Mm -hmm. of bad behavior. And you have to document many examples, not just one. The more you have, the, the less easy it is for your organizations to wriggle out of or make excuses for bad behavior. Yeah. So a pattern is, is hugely important to be able to identify. Mm -hmm. And it is neat that, um, you know, to have it laid out in a book, to have somebody be able to, you know, flip through a manual and go, okay, almost in a, in a, (laughs) a fit of mindfulness, you'd have to be patient and, and understand that this is about them. This is about challenging that behavior and ending that behavior, quite frankly. Um, Correct. So it is, yeah, and it's it's a lot to ask of the victim, of course. Um, but but it is it is good to have a handbook and to have a you know kind of a map, a map out of the out of the very difficult. We all need you know. We all need tactics. And again, back to the war zone analogy, what do people mm-hmm. who successfully get out of war zones do? They carefully plan. They think of their counterattack. They think of the best defense plan. Mm-hmm. And they're constantly regrouping, taking new evidence and rethinking it. And it, it is that for sure. Mm-hmm. And we, it is helpful to have a handbook. And the the most powerful comments I've got from people who've read it are things that are so simple, but they're so impactful. Like, oh my God, I'm not crazy. Yeah. I, I, I kept making excuses. I kept thinking that this would go away. I kept thinking it was just, she was in a bad mood or she mm-hmm. was having a hard time. And by being able to actually identify it as no, this is really bad and unacceptable behavior. Yeah. It takes a giant, unknown and makes it an understood mm-hmm. and because we make excuses for everything and try to avoid the obvious confrontation and yeah. the, the we just i think most of us want to believe that people aren't bad yep of course and most people aren't bad yeah but unfortunately there are some that are yeah i want to talk about that because what you just said is the um 
the, the explaining away obviously will come from us, but also can come from them saying, oh, I was just having a bad day. Oh, Don't take it personally. Happy. I was... And then you start to believe that. Absolutely. And I wanted to talk to you about something you said to me once, which was, it's never about you. It's never about the never. victim. And it, it does always point to something within in the bully. And I mean, we're told that hurt people hurt and that schoolyard bullies are often bullied at home. And, right. and we, do, we do know that that doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't make it any, you know, less less painful for the person. But do you want to talk a bit about... You know, sure. why do people bully? Oh, well, so the the general motivation behind a bully is exactly as you've described. What What is the genesis of the bad behavior? Well, most of the time, it's one of sort of four things. The first is they're absolutely inherently insecure. They are terrified that someone who might take away their their, their limelight, someone might be seen as really uh, better than them. And so there's this inherent vulnerability. So in these usually the people they bully are some of the best people on the team because they are a threat. So they have this warped sense of what is a threat. And these people actually normally would be their top allies. Mm -hmm. And yet they can't handle that because they're terrified that they will get, quote, found out that they're not as good as they like to tell the whole world they are. Yeah. So they're insecure for sure. They're narcissists. That is, unfortunately, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but this is a fundamental fact that they tend to not have much of a sense of compassion or empathy for anyone. Mm -hmm. The world revolves around them, their ego, their need to be um, liked, their need to be in the limelight, their need to be recognized. All mm -hmm. of this is inherently part of their psychology. They're also um, quite manipulative. And so they, they're very adept at, at sort of figuring out who do they need on their team, on their side, mm -hmm. and who, do they, who can they crush or who can they ignore. Yeah. And this is part of their their game. So it, between ego and narcissism and insecurity and vulnerability and fear, mm -hmm. deep-rooted fear of being caught out, being not part of a team, not being liked. They're terrified of not being liked. Mm -hmm. And again, ancient history for most of them, unfortunately, is exactly as you described workplace bullies are often children who bullied and grow up to be more insidious bullies as adults because they have an emotional intelligence that children don't. Not all children who are bullies grow into workplace bullies, mm -hmm. but sadly, some do. And we have to acknowledge this. It's it's deep-rooted. It's usually because they've been traumatized or grown up in a very unfortunate home had bad things happen to them as they were when they were younger mm -hmm. and i haven't i really i have to be honest i haven't seen a situation with what i would identify as a clear bully where there isn't evidence of sad ancient history of course and yeah. i empathize with that i understand and have compassion for them that doesn't mean that i um am supportive of their behavior, of yeah. their acting out. Or will allow it to happen. Correct. Mm -hmm. But having empathy does help you heal. Yep. 
Yeah, holding on to resentment and anger tends to hurt you more in the long run than them, of course, because, you know, and, and often you see people, they walk away from jobs, they don't say anything, they're too scared, they just give up. And then, you know, if you're going to be angry after that, who wins? And it's often the person who's, you know, bullied and made themselves indispensable to their higher ups and, mm -hmm. you know, that type of behavior, which is common. Um, Absolutely. And that is what we do most of the time. Most of the time we give up because we just can't see a way out. And mm -hmm. I'm an advocate for exit strategies when your health is at risk, yep. uh, when it's abundantly clear that nothing you do will ever change the equation. Um, and we do need to be sensible and we do need to protect ourselves. And sometimes the best strategy is an exit strategy, full stop, but not all the time. And I think that's the difference is to be able to step back, get some help, read some some literature that will hopefully enlighten you and be able to assess from a different perspective you know what should i do and if whatever that is then begin to implement that plan step by step slowly methodically mm -hmm. it's a project mm -hmm. consider it a project it's not going to happen overnight nothing good ever does and mm -hmm. we have to appreciate that if you are victimized you're the target it's a lot worse than the people who aren't targeted but the people who aren't are deeply impacted watching a friend a co-worker get hurt and often they're willing to help yeah absolutely and i think that is kind of you know that is one of the the things that makes you want to stand up against against that behavior because you know, you see there's, I mean, and, and we look at the stats and the information that us, that says it's loss of pr productivity, missed days of work, less faith in the company, you know. Yep. All not, of the above. Yeah, all of the kind of those Yeah, the key that, markers. I mean, the first book I wrote was, was basically about how bad workplace bullying is for business because I'm ultimately a business person. Mm -hmm. And because I was stunned at how uninformed most executives are about what bullying costs. Like, I'm talking money. Mm -hmm. And you talk to enough HR people, and they can actually quantify in terms wow. of lost day, sick leave, stress leave, people leaving their the business, um, people not wanting to come to work or being completely unproductive when they get there, the impact of gossip, the impact of a toxic workplace on engagement, productivity, innovation, motivation, loyalty. Mm -hmm. It's off the charts. Mm -hmm. And for what? For one person. Yep. It is astonishing to me. And then... Another really important statistic is what does it cost when someone does take action? Okay. So when you start to add up that cost, so investigation fees, legal fees, um, HR time and effort, executives time and effort, um, mop up aisle nine fees, <laughs> um, these are all real. And if you start to assess what they actually cost, it is, it is black and white. I don't understand how any business could justify that keeping even a powerful executive in place yeah. makes more sense than dealing with their really bad behavior. Of course. And yeah. they're terrified too. They don't want confrontation. They know it's going to be ugly. Mm -hmm. They know it's not going to be 
a walk in the park because bullies voraciously defend themselves when they're mm-hmm. attacked. Mm-hmm. But if they think about the bottom line, because that's usually what executives want to talk about, I think the conversation can shift. They don't want to talk about emotions. They don't want to talk about of victim. Course, they don't yeah. want to talk about pain or hurt or suffering or even toxic workplace. They don't care. They don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They want to hear what's in it for me. What is this costing me? And I also focus on their reputation. And that's they huge. could, I mean, look at how many organizations in the last few years we have seen where something really bad happened mm-hmm. and, and who pays the ultimate price. Yeah. The CEOs, Mm -hmm. the senior managers, the board of directors, they all pay a reputationally and potentially lifelong damaging. You don't have to go far to see how many examples of that. And these are just the organizations in the news. Think of how many aren't. Mm -hmm, Of course. And it does does profoundly Mm -hmm. start to help, I think, help you at least look at things maybe differently. Of course. You're never going to convince everyone. And you just saying right there how, um, or just a minute ago, you were saying how they don't really, you know, if if you're just talking about emotions and, you know, how people feel and and all of that versus what you said before with bullies being very good at making themselves seem, seem invaluable and kind of that, that manipulation that bullies are very good at doing. Mm-hmm. They believe that, oh, well, I can't let this person go. It doesn't matter if they're hurting feelings or saying nasty things. They're they're very productive and they're good at their job. Correct. Because they've been told that by the bully, mm-hmm. <laughs> who often is sometimes too busy bullying than they oh, are actually working. <laughs> you, you, you seem to have nailed all of the above. And what I think is important is to try to think of the mind of the people that you're trying can, to convince that there's a real problem. Yeah. And put your dialogue into terms that will help them listen. Mm-hmm. And usually those aren't the terms that we are suffering from. Mm-hmm. The hurt, the anger, the frustration, the lack of, of engagement. Mm-hmm. We know that. We're living it. But they don't. And I'll never forget, I've heard this more than once. And it, at the first time I heard it, I thought, this is impossible. But I heard an executive talk about a bully. And her words were, We love him because he can go into any place and whip a unit into shape. Wow. And that metaphor is... Very military. But it is exactly what they do. Mm -hmm. They are Mm -hmm. command and control leaders. It's their way or no way. It's their right. And if anything goes wrong, it's finger pointing at everyone else but them. So... They're incredibly good at deflecting blame, deflecting problems. So it does make them look quite indispensable because they've solved a problem. And what they, of course, do is they make excuses for getting rid of people. Um, they talk about all the bad things that they that they have done. Again, executives only hear what they want to hear. Of course. And so we have to somehow take it out of the the bullies game and court and put it into a different one. The workers, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. And But again, t- focusing on executive speak and mm-hmm. what motivates executives to take action is the only way that I've seen executives change their, their mm-hmm. opinion. Which and believe sense. me, when they do get it, things change very quickly. Yeah. But it may take a while 
for them to get it. Mm-hmm. Do you get brought in um, by people who are looking to solve a problem like executives? Do they bring you in or? The answer for that is generally no. Um, but I've, I, have, I have a cadre of, of colleagues that I work with who do. And the reason that I don't do that, I, I work, they will call me. I don't get, I'm like the police. No one calls me when they're having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> so I get called when there's a crisis okay. and they usually want to call just to pick my brain at first. Interesting. And kind of get the lay of the land. And I ask a lot of very direct questions and we can pretty quickly determine what kind of is going on. And I don't, I'm not an investigator because mm-hmm. I can't be biased. And I know that. Of course. So I have to understand what my own limitations and my own um, reality is. And so my role is as a spokesperson. That's how I believe I'm supposed to be. I'm an activist. I'm a, you know, I'm trying to raise awareness and trying to help people mm-hmm, give them mm-hmm. tools that they didn't have before. Wonderful. And, and you do have a full-time job. So. <laughs> I do. I do. And yes, and that's, you know, again, I think that that speaks to passion. Mm-hmm. When you really believe in something and you know that something needs to change, pardon me, there's really nothing that um, that stops you. Mm-hmm. You find time. Yeah. You make time. You yeah. work on weekends. You don't care. Yeah. And that's kind of the way that this has evolved. And it's organic and it's been really quite a ride. And I'm honored to be able to speak on this topic when Wonderful. people want to listen. After your experience you know, with this company mm-hmm. and with feeling you've done everything wrong and, and having to leave. And uh, you you told me that you, so you went to Tanzania where your parents did. had, you'd, you'd met some people in Tanzania because your parents ran a safari company. Yeah. Do you want um, to talk a bit yeah, about this? Yeah, so a little bit, oh, I'll, this will take a little bit of time, but mm-hmm. as background, so before all of the nice, the naughty stuff and, and obsolete, uh, terrible stuff happened, I had a much more normal life. Um, <laughs> I was practicing law and my parents also had a tour company that they started when they were retired and they retired young. And um, I helped them guide and plan really cool international trips. So for 17 years, I guided trips in on my vacation that I had planned. And they were, we went to 89 countries in 17 years and it was cool. marvelous. The last trip that they that they wanted to do before they officially retired was to Tanzania. And long story short, they wanted 16 people to sign up and they got 75. So you can imagine um, what a project that was, but all of which to say it led to me having the incredible blessing of spending five weeks in Tanzania on safari with uh, a, a f- three or four amazing safari guides while all 75 people went through the 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 tour and i met my maasai friend brother business co-founder on this on this trip and his name is abby and abby has changed my life in ways that i could never ever have imagined and the 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 safari the the tour happened before the bullying event but I left Tanzania with a friend that I knew I would have forever. And he is a is just an outstanding human being. And we were in close contact for for a couple of years and then the bad stuff happened. 
And although we were just in email contact, he knew something was really wrong. And he kept emailing me and trying to support me, trying to figure out what was going on. And I was very tight-lipped about it because I was so ashamed and humiliated and hurt and frankly, mentally ill. And when the really bad stuff happened and I had to leave work and not ever go back, I was really broken. And Mm -hmm. I'll never forget, he sent an email with three words and it said, come home, brother. That's all he, Mm -hmm. it's all he could do. That's all he knew. And it's a long story, but I did, I did go. Um, I needed to get the heck out of here and out of my head and out of my uh, suffering and anxiety attacks and nightmares. And against everyone's advice, I went to Tanzania without knowing how long I was going to stay or what was what I was really doing going because I really didn't know Abby. I knew him as a safari guide, but I just knew that he, I could trust that it was going to be good for me, whatever it was. And long story is I went to Tanzania and I spent quite a while living with the Maasai people because he's Maasai and living with his family. And I always say at one African sunrise at a time, I started to heal and I started to absorb the experience. And the Maasai people did me an incredible privilege. Um, Over the course of the time I was there, I really began to understand their their values, their traditions, their their core uh, mission in life, and how they support one another, and their their definition of community. And to make a long story short, they adopted me as an elder. So I am I'm this incredibly privileged guy who has a Maasai family and is part of a tribe in Africa. And that might sound crazy to many people, um, but it isn't to me. It's actually marvelous. Mm -hmm. And through that relationship, um, Abby had a dream. And the dream was to start the only Maasai-owned safari company in Africa. Because there's lots of companies that look like they're Maasai-owned, but they're not. And he wanted to start a business. And I had tour company background. So I said, let's. And everyone told us it was impossible. How could someone in Canada help run a safari company in Tanzania? How could a Maasai warrior with no real business experience run a safari business? How could he train people from his village who his village has no power, no electricity, no internet, nothing. How could they become business people? Well, the answer is give them a chance. Of course. Give yeah. them tools, give them time. Give And five years later, the, the company is called Boutique Safari. It is turning the safari business on its head. And they're doing things that no one has ever done. Like they have the only female safari guides. They have women's safaris or family safaris. And you can pick Mm-hmm. A female guide or a male guide, and they're all Maasai. So you can also integrate cultural experiences that are authentic and that no other company can do. And so this is, for me, part of what I do now is raise opportunity for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm older now and I, I'm looking towards retirement, and but I feel an immense obligation Um and privilege to be able to support what they're doing Mm -hmm. and to see them just thrive and see them Mm -hmm. do remarkable things, which they're doing every day. So here I went to Tanzania as a broken person and look, look at the enrichment that they brought me. And I've, I've learned so much about life from them that I would, I want to share with the world. 
I think that's a really, uh, it's a beautiful story that tells, you know, the story of a larger picture. And I think that is that other cultures do have some value that they can teach us. And often that is what you said with community, with, you know, supporting what it is, what is it that we need for our mental health? And often that is understanding, openness, treating each other with respect, um, you know, traits that you get from indigenous cultures uh, all around the world. Yes. Um, so I, I don't think it is as, as uh, hard to understand, maybe for business people, but. <laughs> well, you know, it, I think if it, these values that, that are critical to Maasai survival over, you know, thousands of years really are core values that would help anybody in any culture, mm-hmm. in any environment. Mm-hmm. And, we sometimes forget about them, but their baseline respect is number one. Well, frankly, who doesn't want to live in an, in a respectful community and work in a respectful workplace? I mean, who doesn't want to do that? Um, so teaching their people about respect is core. It's like 101. The first course you get in Maasai country, Maasai land is respect. And then strength is number two and having the strength to survive when it doesn't rain for a year or to mm-hmm. survive when there's a plague of locusts or when their their cattle are not have a disease and the strength to get through impossible situations is is their next value and their third value is courage having the courage and so to to learn they help me realize that you can have courage even in really awful situations. And mm-hmm. it's because of them I wrote the books. I didn't write a book before I was in Tanzania. I wrote a book when I got back. Wonderful. And to this day, I believe that that courage is contagious because they've proven to me that it is. Mm-hmm. And you can have an entire community where courage is fostered and, and it flourishes. And it's amazing what can happen. Um, and then the final one, of course, is is goodness, which comes from community. It, it's really community and goodness rolled into a, a beautiful, you know, ball. And they have the only way they can survive is by helping each other, relying on each other, of supporting course, each other. Yeah. There's no other way. You couldn't survive alone mm-hmm. in that in that in that wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, you need help. Mm-hmm. So yes who wouldn't benefit from those lessons and we do teach people those lessons in our culture but we i think that we've lost sight of them in mm-hmm. many places in businesses probably being the worst mm-hmm. where profits and um motivation around um, you know profit and generating and i'm not suggesting that's bad yeah i'm very i'm i'm a lawyer i'm a business guy i like business yeah. but i think yeah. we sometimes forget that the culture that we create around that business is as important as the profits that that business generates. Mm-hmm. I think a, a really important one too is, is as you were saying with community and when, when you are so staunchly independent as we are, um, you know, in capitalist Western societies, I feel that that's when we do get problems with workplace bullying because you don't really have, a support you know if if you right. fail you fail and it's all on you you know yeah so, and we sometimes think that we perceive asking for help as weakness mm-hmm. well strength is not a sole operation having strength to ask for people's help is actually core to what is strength strength is not individual strength comes from 
yourself from within, but it absolutely comes from numbers. Mm -hmm. So we, we lose this sense of, of value of some of these things in our, in our culture and in our business environments. And I'm, I'm a strong advocate that that's a mistake. It's a Mm -hmm. diabolically bad mistake and it will, you will pay for that in ways that you can only regret mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. so I really believe that if we bring those values into our workplaces that, you know, life is short, work someplace awesome. Absolutely. People are doing that more and more. They're saying, no, mm-hmm. I don't want to work there. It's not a good place to work. It's yeah. not a, I, I don't feel valued or respected or engaged or, mm-hmm. or important or cared for. And when you have those values in a company, you're more excited about work, you're more driven, you're more connected, you're more passionate. All you, of the above. The fire doesn't die inside you. It's the opposite. You're, yeah. you're, you, you're so excited to go to work mm-hmm. and your loyalty to that workplace. You bring you your friends because yeah. you're like, I can't imagine working anywhere else. It's the most awesome place to work. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing that a high performance team that is that engaged can't do. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you want to push past impossible, well, there's the key in in business. hundred percent. There's your key. One question I want to ask you too. You mentioned the uh, Abby's, is it Abby's wife? Yes. And the strength in Mm. her. And that story was. Yeah, they are. They are one of the most powerful duos that one could ever imagine. So both of these people grew up in a village that's very remote in Maasailand. So it's in the Rift Valley of East Africa in a very, very, um, as Martha, his wife would say, backward culture. Okay. It's very difficult for a Maasai person to, to even make a statement that there are things about their culture that are backward. But Martha does it every day. And she's the only university-educated woman for about 200 kilometer radius. Oh, wow. And she started a foundation that is that is focused on empowering Maasai girls and women. And that foundation has built schools for girls. They're they're doing things like trying to ban female circumcision because it's still a, a normal practice as hideous and in a, like unimaginable as that might be for us, but it's mm. quite normal there. And she herself was born into a, a very, very powerful Maasai family. Her father is one of the most powerful people in in a long, um, in a wide, wide distance. He has five wives. And again, in that world, if you're rich, you have lots and lots of cows and, and animals, and that allows you to have more wives and more families. Mm-hmm. But also girls get married really young like mm-hmm. 11, 12, 13, and they get told who they're going to marry. Yeah. And Martha, at the age of 12, said to her incredibly powerful father, no, that's not going to happen. And you cannot imagine what that must have been like for her to, to stand wow. firm. And she married for love. She wanted to marry Abby. She knew she wanted to marry Abby. They grew up together, and they, they are married. Cool. And they are, they are a powerhouse of of passion. And it was Martha's idea to like let's train Maasai girls to be business people. Let's train them to be safari guides. Let's give them opportunity 
to get out of becoming beasts of burden and and simply moms at the age of 13 and having eight kids. Mm -hmm. There are options that now are being presented to them. And a testament to what they're doing is they've got girls from villages around walking to their village to say, to beg, can I go to school here? Because their school is a live-in school and the girls can come to school and be protected oh, wow. while they yeah. go to school. And they're, 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 they are protected and they get an education. And it's amazing Wonderful. to see these young women. It's just, wow, it's yeah. so cool. Very cool. So does this, the, the company, um, Boutique Safari, mm -hmm. is that launched and can you book on it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. You, you can go online, um, boutiquesafari.com with a dash, boutique-safari.com. And yeah, you can find out anything you want about the things they do. And I think the more people that do that, the more that we're going to see remarkable things come yeah. out of out of this idea that mm -hmm. Abby had and Martha's influence to do to the the company supports the foundation so a Wonderful. portion of everyone's safari goes to the foundation yeah. and guests constantly are unbelievably generous and donate to the foundation and they sponsor for example a girl they can sponsor a girl to go to school they can pay for a classroom they can pay for a library these are all things that people have actually done wow. they can build a kindergarten we had a wow. client that donated the money to build there was no kindergarten they it was called under the acacia tree kindergarten because wow. oh. it was in the dirt <laughs> under <laughs> a tree and now they have a kindergarten oh, and cool. with real teachers and desks and it's yeah again it's amazing what you can do if you set your mind to it of course yeah and it is really beautiful how it's run by people who grew up there live there and experience you know they they can show you the culture and they can you know directly benefit and that's exactly cool. and yeah. again thank you martha her <laughs> philosophy is we cannot do anything with outsiders telling us how to do it or coming and doing it for us. We must learn these skills ourselves. Mm -hmm. So the school mm -hmm. took four years because they didn't have anyone who knew how to make bricks or anyone who knew how to make cement or anyone who knew and they how want to, to learn. They, and you so they, now learn. in the village, yeah. there's carpenters, there's bricklayers, there's cement mixer. There's like this village has awesome. begun to transform. Very and cool. so her, her whole concept is we must sustain our own needs from within and teach ourselves. So mm -hmm. they're now, there's now teachers who are from the village because no one's going to come to this village in the middle of nowhere and stay mm -hmm. if they're mm -hmm. not in the community already. And it is a nice kind of, I mean, we're learning, you know, definitely in the media and, and anyone who's gone to school for political science or history knows a lot about colonization and, and its effects. And, you know, we, we want to stop having charities just give a bunch of shoes and leave mm -hmm. or you know, build a well in a war zone and not consider the politics of that well being destroyed. Right. We need to understand exactly what she said, is that let us have agency, let us build this and show you the way we live. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And meet our needs, whatever they are. Let us decide mm -hmm. what to do with your generosity. Mm -hmm. And by no means am I even, I'm, I'm, I'm empowering people to be generous, to help where they can. But to also understand that 
sometimes the best way to help is to let go. Yeah. Is to just give and let go. Yep. And watch what can happen. Absolutely. And to trust that the people will use your money in a way that you could never have imagined. And to see, for example, we we have a person who's coming with, I'm going back to Tanzania in, in a few weeks, and I'm bringing a woman who was on our safari five years ago oh, with wow. my parents' company, and she's donated funds to... Um, to create the dormitory, one of the dormitory rooms in the school. So they're going to build a second dormitory cool. and we're going to call it Helga's because her name is Helga. Oh, nice. That'll yeah. be so fun. Helga's for dorm. Very cool. Yeah. So it, it's amazing what people can do yeah. if they and think about it. An interesting parallel almost to, to end on is that you said, you know, trust and let go. And often what a lot of workplace bullies can't do is trust their team and let them work and Never. let go. They can't. Yeah. They have to micromanage. Again, when you're feeling so afraid that someone is a threat, that someone's going to take your limelight away, that someone's going to make you look less indispensable, mm -hmm. you can understand why that is their modus. Mm -hmm. It's totally counterintuitive. It makes no sense at all except if you were in their perceived or warped ver version of reality. Mm -hmm. And you're right, they, they, can, they can't trust anyone. And so they're micromanagers from hell. That's a very traditional trait of, of bullies. They don't ever let go, because mm -hmm. letting go for them is far too risky. Of course. So we just need to bring everybody the, the Maasai ways. <laughs> uh, I, look, you, you're preaching to the choir there, yeah. So for any listeners who are interested in your book, um, you can order it on Amazon or yes, your it's, website? Yes, it's available on my website, which is uh, pushingpastimpossible.com. Awesome. And it's also available on Amazon um, worldwide and Barnes & Noble Wonderful. worldwide. So, And they can follow you on Twitter or any they, of the social medias? Um, um, LinkedIn is, is a big one for me, awesome. I'm, but I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter daily. And I, I appreciate anyone who not only uh, becomes part of my network, but actually engages with us and lets us know what, what they're thinking of or what they need. What are they missing? Yeah. And what information do they feel they still uh, don't have? Because that's my mission is to fill that gap, whatever it is. But I need people to tell me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming. That's and, a huge and pleasure. Speaking. Thank you for having me.